Hi, Pastor Rob here from City East Church and MTL Ministries. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. We're getting quickly towards the end. If we can turn to Ephesians 5, 22 to 33, and it says this, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You know... um, a feminist will read that and won't get past the first verse before she spits the dummy and throws the Bible on the ground. If you read it without being a feminist and without assuming that it's written by a chauvinist, you know, if you read that scripture, you will see that it's the most balanced view that a, a, a husband and wife could take because it's balanced in the sense that there's, um, we are, the wife is told how they should treat their husband but the husband is also told how they should treat the wife. And if both do the right thing, if, if the husband treats the wife the way the Bible uh, tells us to, or the way the scripture does, and if the wife treats the husband the same way, they're going to have a perfect marriage. And I believe the reason why two out of three marriages fail today is because most people do not live by that. And so we're going to go into it a little bit and, and get an understanding of what it truly is saying. Amen. It says be subject. Uh, we're taking it from the Amplified again because I just like how it just really brings more of the Greek out. Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, be subject or be submissive and adapt yourselves. Adapt yourselves to your own husbands as a service to the Lord. I really like that, to adapt. You know, a lot of relationships today... Husbands and wives, they're not adapting themselves to each other. They want to continue and they want to do their own thing and they live really two lives but come together just to share a home and they think they're having a relationship. And then they wonder why, you know, months can go past and they haven't had a decent conversation and because they're just not adapted. They're not connecting with each other. But we're told here in the Word and as we draw from the Greek that uh, wives should adapt themselves 
to their husbands as a service to the Lord. So they do it for the Lord. They submit and adapt themselves to their husbands to serve the Lord as a service, as a part of that. So if they do that efficiently and well, that will be credited to them in the kingdom. That they bless their husband by being so connected and so behind him and, and you know, putting their all into the relationship. To be subject is to be under someone's control or jurisdiction. So to be subject to someone is to be under their control. So a wife should say, okay, I'm under the control of my husband. My husband has the final say in the house. Okay, however many feminists are going to contact me, you know, really not like that. But the fact of the matter is, as the stronger of the two, in the sense of uh, as, as the man is the stronger physically, um, he should be, if the wife is truly behind a man, the man will also be stronger mentally and spiritually. If the wife strips him of that, then the man will be weaker spiritually and mentally. So a strong husband is determined by a wife who gives him that strength. But if you strip him so that he's a weak man, a miserable man, then he won't have weak, and then the woman will have to step up and be the head of the house, right? So this is one of the reasons, you know, women take the head of the house is because they strip the husband of their ability to be the stronger member, and then they step up and, and, and assume it, assume the role. But it shouldn't work that way. In the Bible, if you're a true Christian, you'd never function in the household in that way. Colossians 3, 18, it says, Wives, be subject to your husbands. Subordinate and adapt yourselves to them as it is right and fitting and your proper duty. It is a duty for a wife to do that uh, to their, for their husbands. 1 Peter 3, 1 to 2, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, and there's a lot of wives out there with unbelieving husbands. If they do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Without words. So without preaching necessarily. You don't have to preach your husband into the kingdom. Win them over without words by your behavior, by the way that you submit. Now, if you just say you, you're a, a woman that has come to the Lord, but the husband didn't come to the Lord with you, you're now a Christian, but you were once trying to be head of the house, trying to push your weight, trying to be this stronger member of the relationship. What will prove to that husband that you are certainly with the Lord and that it is good to be a Christian and win that man over will be that that wife will submit and stop assuming those roles that is not rightfully hers to assume in that relationship. Once she starts to submit to the husband, then that man will be won over by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and the reverence of your life. Reverence, not only reverence to Christ, but reverence towards the husband. Now, these are pretty good tips for successful marriages, I believe, so far. And we've only just looked at the wife part, but the husband part is actually, there's more to it. There's more um, obligation to the man, to the woman. Christ is the head. Ephesians 5.23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife... As Christ is the head of the church, himself the saviour of his body. Now it's pretty well, it's, it's scripturally laid down. The word of God tells us that the husband is the head of the wife. You can argue with this all you want. You will argue it to the grave. You'll take it to the grave. You'll have to stand judgment before God and you'll have to argue it with God and God won't argue with you. He'll just tell you straight. The word says it, so there it is. You know what I mean? The husband is the head of the wife. I'm not saying it. I'm not being a chauvinist by saying it. I'm just agreeing with the word. And whenever I've, I've 
seen a lot of people's relationships over the years. Whenever I've seen the man is head of the house, I've always seen a very hum harmonious relationship. Whenever I've seen the woman is the head of the house, I've always seen a disharmonious relationship and usually children that are ratbags. It seems to go hand in hand with that. Because the woman is trying to do the man's job and the man is becoming the woman and it's completely out of whack. But when the man assumes head of the house and the woman submits to the man, doesn't mean she has no rights. It just means she submits everything that she plans to do in the household to her husband and the husband is just basically, yes, I'm with that, let's do it. It's not the husband rules over her ruthlessly like a dictator because a true Christian husband would never rule over a, a wife like a dictator or should never. We must submit uh, or the woman must submit to the man and the man must love his wife as himself and we're going to talk about that in a second. But the husband is head of the wife just as Christ is the head of the church. Now, if the woman's going to argue that the man shouldn't be head of the house, then she's going to have to argue that Jesus isn't going to be head of the church. So you, you can't take that away from the man. If you strip the household of the man being the head, you have stripped the household of a good relationship, of a good husband and wife relationship. 1 Corinthians 11.3 says, But I want you to realise that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. See, Jesus submits to God the Father. God the Father submits to no one, but he's trustworthy in his position. And there's another thing to think about. If you're going to be a good husband, you've got to be trustworthy in your position. Just because your wife submits to you doesn't mean you kick her around the room every now and then, you know, and treat her like dirt. You don't do what they do in Islam and grab a stick and start belting your wife because you have these rights. I'm the head of the house. I'm going to belt, belt my wife up with a stick. That's not the way you're supposed to treat your wife. Everyone see this? Yeah. Subjected church. Ephesians 5.24 says, As the church is subject to Christ, as the church submits to Christ, so let wives also be subject in everything to their husbands. Subject in everything. That means the husband should know about everything. Well, look, you know, I, I know a lot of relationships that are under incredible financial strain because, actually, I think we should the wife should be subject to the husband, but the husband also should make the wife aware of what he's doing. You know, especially in like from financial perspective, we know of people who go out and the wife will spend like crazy, not tell the husband. She's not subjecting to the husband that, hey, I'm going to go out and spend $1,000 today on clothing. So the husband comes home and he doesn't know anything about it and all of a, uh, all of a sudden a bill arrives in the post and he realises, you know, that a good week of his wages has gone because his wife had a spending spree that he didn't know anything about and she never asked him. And that, that, that breeds, um, you know, deceit in the, in the relationship, puts a huge stress on the relationship because the husband hits the roof He's now $1,000 less, you know, down on what he thought. And there's no uh, subjection. You know, if she subjected herself to the husband and said, darling, do you mind? You know, then, then that's a different story altogether. And I think it's good to be upfront and clear and honest in your relationships. Amen? And that goes for um, boyfriend-girlfriend relationships. If you've got a partner that you think you're going to marry, you know, be subject to one another. 
Uh, Paul uses the submission of the church to Christ as an example for how wives should submit to their husbands. In many respects, this is a foreign concept today. In many respects. You know, I know of a lot of relationships where the wife has her money, the man has her money, and they're not really, they don't pull their money together like a, a true relationship should. They've got their own money so they can spend what they want. They don't have to subject to one another, you know, what they're doing with their finances. And who knows how they also live their life. They've probably got their nights. They go out and do what they want to do. and the, You know what I mean? And that becomes there's a lot of room for Satan to move in that sort of relationship. All right, Christ loves. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ loved the church so much. He loved, the, the, uh, he loved all of us so much. He laid his life down. Now, if a husband hasn't got that attitude towards his wife, if he's not prepared to lay his life down, and it's not necessarily in death, but lay his life down in every respect. Like the wife is struggling. She's struggling to get all the housework done. The husband should get up and help. You know what I mean? Um, if, why should the wife have to do everything? Just because she's the woman doesn't mean that she has to do absolutely everything. The man should be laying his life down for his wife Therefore, that means, you know, in everyday events, you know, get in there and help, you know, put the dishes away, uh, make the beds and, you know, uh, do whatever you can to help your wife. It should be a mutual thing. You're moving, your, your household is your household, the two of you. You should do everything together, you know, should be shared. Jobs should be shared. The time was spent with your children should be shared. It shouldn't be the wife has to sit with the children all the time during when they're sick and when they're uh, needing stories read to them and, and all of these sort of things and their homework done. It shouldn't be the wife that has to do all that and the husband just lays there in front of the TV. <laughs> yeah. That's an obvious, isn't it? They do it. They do it. A lot of husbands think, I've done a day's work, I'm going to lay down in front of the TV for the next five hours the wife is going to run around like a crazy woman trying to get all the cleaning done, make all the uh, uh, sandwiches for the next day and, and do everything while the husband just chills. That's chauvinism, in my opinion. You know, if you want to... Sorry? Yeah, look, most men, when they become Mr. Mum, usually say, you, it's a lot easier just working. <laughs> you know? Just... Yeah, you wouldn't want to trade places. So, you know, that it should be if, if she's working all day till, the, till she hits the sack, so should the man work all day until he hits the sack. And it should be shared as, and, and help out lay your life down for your wife. Love your wives. Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives. Be affectionate and sympathetic. Too many men out there have got no sympathy They've got no sympathy, no concept of what the woman's going through. They're not affectionate. They don't give their wife a hug. They just treat them like, you know, a bit of furniture. You know, well, all, he, all they see is, is their backside because they're standing at, she's standing at the sink and you're standing over there, you know, just looking and they just see the back of their wife while she's busy doing stuff while he's doing the, his little hobbies. You know, we've got to be affectionate. We've got to show, show love towards our, our partners. And, of course, likewise back as well. And do not be harsh or bitter or resentful towards them. And it's easy, I know, as a husband. You know, there's been times, been too harsh, too bitter. 
you know, we've got to soften up. So it's a two-way street. There's more, um, I believe, in this scripture, even though it, it starts off talking about directing it at the wives, I think there's more obligation on the men, though. I think it's pushing the men, man point because men typically can be very, very hard and cold to their partners and treat them just like, you know, maids in the house. Just do this, do that, do this, do that. You know, and it shouldn't be the shouldn't be the way. Washed by the word, Ephesians five twenty six says, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might sanctify her. So, and that's talking about the church, as in Jesus Christ sanctified. See, the scripture prior to that was, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her. Jesus gave his life up for the church, and in doing that, he sanctified. Now, sanctified means to make holy, to make holy. It doesn't mean you're sanctified, therefore sin all you want, and, and you know, you've got to... It it's not an open ticket to live a filthy life. You know, I'm saved by grace, therefore I can sin all I want. That's not what it's talking about. He's actually died so that we would be sanctified now, so we would live in sanctification, live in holiness, walk in holiness. And if we slip, we have the, the gift of repentance to say, sorry, Lord, help me not to do that again, and then resist that sin with all your heart and all your, all your mind and all your strength and live, continue to live a holy life and sanctified life so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her, by the washing of water with the word. And I'm going to go a bit further than that because the word is representative of, of the Bible. John 15, 3 says, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. You are already clean because of the word. So when you hear the word, you get cleaned. Who, who, who feels that when you hear the word preached? There's a cleansing? Yeah. I feel a cleansing because this stuff aligns us. It's, it's actually, there's a something in the Word of God that's like what I would consider like a spiritual chemical, which when you hear it and comprehend it and receive it, it changes you right to the core. I reckon it changes you right down to your DNA. Therefore, we can say we are new creatures because we've been transformed by the washing of the Word as it goes into our heart. And it's a spiritual thing and, and uh, it cleanses you, it protects you from the enemy. It keeps you protected because you understand how the enemy works to tempt you to sin and you can resist that so that you can walk in, walk in that sanctification. And John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them by the truth and your word is truth. See, how do you get holy? The word. The word. If you, don't, if you try to live a holy life and never read the Bible, you're kidding yourself because your holiness is according to your standard. And your standard could be whatever you want. You can be holy because you just do this or, you know, some, some little thing. You help a little old lady cross the road. Now you're holy. <laughs> you know, and people think that. Oh, the works make you holy. No, they don't. The works don't make you holy. The worst people in the world can do good things. You know, works don't make a man holy. Jesus and his word and his blood makes us holy. And we get holy by hearing the word and receiving the word and this is why church is so important this is why we've got to get keep coming to church and receive the word or else how can you be holy amen
presented in splendor. Ephesians 5.27 says that he might present the church to himself in glorious splendor. See, this is why he did it. He, he died on that cross so that he could present the church to himself in glorious splendor. You know, when I hear that, I think, man, I'm a long way short. I'm a long way short, man. I'm going to be presented to Jesus and I feel filthy a lot of the time, you know what I mean? And I've got to be presented to Jesus and I'm going to stand there and go, sorry, Lord, this is the best I've got. You know, I tried to live by your word, you know. So this just shows us how far we have to go. I'm not saying that to belittle anybody or, their, or, or speak down of our holiness, but man, we've got to get cleansed. We've got to stay focused on Christ and get washed in his word so that when we come before Jesus, we can see a smile appear in his face. You know, if someone said to me, I'll give you a billion dollars or when you see Jesus, he's going to smile when he sees you, which do you think I would take? Wouldn't be any question. I'd go for the smile anytime. If I could see Jesus when I die and I appear before Jesus and he just smiles at me, that's it. That's better than a billion, trillion whatever, dollars on earth. That's more value than that because then you know you've pleased him. When that smile appears in his face, his face, he's been pleased by your conduct. He's been pleased by the way you treated each other. He's been pleased by everything to do with your life. And that to me is the most important thing that we can strive for and achieve in life. More value than anything, anything else. Amen. So that he might present the church to himself in a glorious, in glorious splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such things. Now, the spot or wrinkle is just like def defects. He, doesn't want to, he wants a, a church without defect. People always say there's no such thing as a perfect church. Well, Jesus wants one. He wants one. He said, be holy as I am holy. He said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Be perfect. Be perfect. Is it possible? I believe it is. Why? Because he gave us the Holy Spirit, the Holy Counselor, to guide us through this life. Now, if we don't keep on seeking his guidance, we don't live in his word, of course we're not going to be a perfect church. I believe the only reason there is no perfect church is because no one, or so many of us aren't committed. But when you read biographies of certain men of God, I won't name them in case some people think, that, oh, well, they weren't that holy. Well, there's been a lot of holy men of God. Individually, many have achieved incredible levels of holiness and sanctification in Christ and have walked very, very close to the Master. And I believe we're all called to that. Holy in his sight, Ephesians 1.4, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So you, who reads that and goes, okay, that's pretty amazing. Well, for a start, what that tells us is that before anything was created, you were already in his mind. So before physical matter came to be, you were in his mind. That's before the beginning, <laughs> you know, of, of the universe as we know it. That's amazing. So he chose us in him before the creation of the world. And why did, what did he chose us to be? He chose us to be holy 
and blameless in his sight. So you're, the intention for you as a, as a Christian living on this planet is to be holy and blameless. So there's your goal. That's the goal. If you've got, what's your number one goal in life? Be holy and blameless. Holy and blameless. That should be the number one goal because that's God's intention for you. If you're trying to strive and achieve anything other or that greater than that in life, then you've missed the point of being Christian. That's not what you were chosen for. Colossians 1.22 says, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through his death uh, to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Again, it tells us uh, in Colossians that we were chosen to be holy and blameless in his sight. Ephesians 5.28, Even so husbands should love their wives as being, in a sense, their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Um, I find that quite interesting. That um, today, more than ever, we have... um, Men are very self-obsessed, aren't they? Yeah, but men are very self-obsessed today. Women are too. I'm not saying anything, but we're talking about men here. Even so, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He loves his wife, loves himself. If, if a husband could love his wife, you know, say someone who just, you know, spends, uh, makes a special diet so that his body can be trim and he trains in the gym and he plays sport and he's just, he uh, reads tons of books because he wants to be intelligent. He loves himself. He wants to feed his body all these things and his mind all these things to make himself better. If that could be directed towards his wife then he can fulfill this part of the scripture. And as a Christian, we should love our wives with that sort of love and cherish them, care for them, look after them. You know, very few of us beat ourselves up, you know, like throw ourselves off cliffs and, you know, run in front of cars to hurt ourselves. Who, would, who do you know would do that? Apart from someone who's got a, a suicide wish. You know, you don't normally go and beat yourself up, do you? You don't normally scream at yourself and tell yourself you're the most terrible person in the world unless you've got this, a severe case of depression. You, you normally don't do that sort of stuff. Well, that's how we should treat our wife. Bone of my bone, Genesis 2.23, says the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. That's how connected the woman is to the man. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. We've got to consider our wives... As ourselves, she was taken out of us. I, I always think Vina has been straight out of me. She's she's my spiritual rib, you know, straight out of me. <laughs> and we're connected, and we've got to be connected as if she was part of me, you know. Respect your wives, one Peter three seven. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, and as heirs with you of that gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. There's an interesting one. If you treat your wife badly, you'll find your prayer life will go badly too. Nourishing and caring. Ephesians 5.29, For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and carefully protects and cherishes it as Christ does the church. This was the point I was making before. Today more than ever we see men as lovers of themselves. If only that love men have towards themselves was transferred into their relationships, we would see many more successful marriages. I know of you know, certain men that love themselves so much, but they wouldn't share that love with their wife and their marriages were destroyed through it. 
Ephesians 5.30, because we are members or parts of his body. Because we are members. The body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12.27, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. We're all part of it. We're all connected together. One, and, and, and more so with the wife and the husband. They are actually supposed to be one. They were never supposed to be two separate people having a, a, a separate lives and then just occasionally catching up like, like friends. You know, they're supposed to be one. Everything's supposed to be done as one together. Amen. 1 Corinthians 6.15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Uh, talking about even adultery, men who look, look to have adulterous relationships with other women outside of their relationship with their wife, as soon as they've done that, they've united themselves and they become one flesh with that woman. And that causes all sorts of, not just uh, a breakdown in the marriage, but it also it causes spiritual havoc. Because now you're spiritually connected to that person as well. And uh, th there's trouble. And it, whether she's a prostitute, which is not, um, not necessarily a prostitute, but it's still a relationship, a sexual relationship that they should never uh, take part in. United in Christ, Ephesians 5.31. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And that's the way it was intended from the beginning. That's an Old Testament scripture. And I'll just and Jesus even quotes it. For this reason, a man, this is Matthew 19, 5. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Then Paul again in 1 Corinthians 6, 16 says, Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. Trouble when you become one flesh with a one night stand. You know, there's a lot of men who are connected to a lot of relationships that they might know they might have had it once and never again, but there's now there's something there. And that's a, a pathway for Satan to move in. So we've got to pray breakings over all of those relationships. We've got to pray that God will sever those connections. The mystery of Christ and the church. Ephesians 5.32 says, This mystery is very great, but I speak concerning or the relation of Christ and the church. The mystery he's talking about here is, is not referring to the mystery of the husband and wife, because that's an obvious, that's not such a mystery. But the relationship between Jesus and his bride or the church of Christ, there's a, an element of a mystery here. And I found it fascinating. I was reading an uh, exposition by in Gill's Exposition of the Bible, he reveals a typology which is quite profound. He said, The marriage of Adam and Eve was a type of Christ and his church. For in this, the first Adam was a figure of him that was to come. The first Adam was a figure of him to come. We know that from the book of Hebrews where it talks about that. As well as in being the federal head to his posterity. So Adam was the head of the human race. Adam was before Eve and so Christ was before his church. So that's one element of the typology. God thought it not proper that man should be alone, and that's why he created Eve, so neither Christ should be alone, and that he should have some fellows and companions with him. That's why he says, I call you my brothers, I call you my friends, because Jesus wants companionship. He's God, and it's not necessarily good for God to be alone, just God. He wants a creation that's going to love him, serve him, worship him, uh, which is the um the proper thing to do with a holy God who is like our God. 
So the formation of Eve from Adam was typical of the church's production from Christ. So how Eve came out of Adam was typical of how the church came out of Christ. She was made of him while he was asleep. Because remember, Adam was put to sleep and then the rib was taken and Eve was made from Adam while he slept, which sleep was from the Lord and it was not an ordinary one. The suffering and death of Christ, the redemption of his church. So it came out, so the sleep that Jesus was put into was death, so that the church would come out. Amen. She was taken out of his side. Remember, a rib cut in the side and she was taken out of his side and built up a woman from one of his ribs. So both the justification and sanctification of the church are from Christ from out of from the water and the blood which issued out of the side which was on the cross. Remember, he was speared in the side, right near his rib. So that's interesting. It was taken. And that water and that blood now cleanses us, now makes us holy, now redeems us and has brought us into the church and become his bride. The bringing and presentation of Eve to Adam has its mystery. It was God that brought her to to him. So Eve was brought to Adam and she was the same that was the same made out of him. And the same Adam was she brought of whose rib she was made and that not against her will. So it is God that draws souls to Christ uh, and it espouses them to him. Even the same that he has chosen in him and Christ has redeemed by his blood. So God draws all men unto himself, the word says, and to the same are they brought who was wounded for their transgressions, bruised for their sins, and they are made willing in the day of his power upon them to come and give themselves to him. And the last typology is Adam's consent and acknowledgement of Eve to be his wife, shadow forth Christ's hearty reception, acknowledgement of the saints as being of him and his, and when they are brought unto him under the influences of grace and spirit. So when... so. Adam and Eve's relationship is a, a very strong typology of us. We could go deeper into that. I could have probably explained it a lot better, but I think you can sort of see where it's going. So just to summarise just quickly, I'll use two scriptures. Ephesians 5.33 says, However, let each man of you without exception love his wife as being, in a sense, his very own self. So to love them as herself. And let the wife see that she respects and reveres her husband. That she notices him, <laughs> that she notices him, that she regards him, that she honours him, that she prefers him. That's an interesting one. Prefers him over other men. <laughs> That's nice if the wife prefers him. Uh, that she venerates him. Well, venerate, you know, we venerate the saints uh, uh, of the past. You know, we, we talk about Paul with, with veneration. Um, now, a wife is to venerate her husband. And you know what? If the wife doesn't see any good in him and uh, a lot of the time, well, you know, it's a two-way street there. You know, the husband has to lift his game and treat her well so that she can venerate him. But she's also going to lift her game and treat him well and revere him as well. And if the two work like that, they can lift their relationships to a very high level, you know. Uh, but a lot of the time, uh, people don't even consider these kinds of concepts, and so they just let their relationships just smash on the ground, you know. So, reveres her husband, honours him, prefers him, venerates and esteems him, that she defers to him, praises him, and loves and admires him exceedingly. So, you're taking notes, Vane? Big words. Big words, a lot of them. 
It's a little bit more that's in the normal translation. In 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. And I used that scripture before. But we've got to be considerate as we live with our wives and treat them with respect. All right. I hope I've covered that that uh, message fairly clearly. Um, I was concerned about where that was going to go. So uh, Very diplomatically. You think so? I hope so. All right. Let's pray. Thank you. Uh, Lord, we just uh, thank you for this uh, time now. We thank you that you gave me the words to uh, uh, elaborate on these scriptures and hopefully uh, apply them into our lives. And I... I pray that I did do it diplomatically and that that I was fair and balanced in the approach to it, Lord. And if uh, please forgive me if it seemed I weighed too heavy on one side or the other, but Lord, um, the scriptures don't do that. The scriptures are very balanced, so it was easy to sort of uh, keep with that. So we thank you for your wonderful scriptures. And we just pray that many people will be touched and impacted by this and that it will help uh, many relationships to get stronger uh, and more powerful, and that Christians everywhere uh, will have the best marriages, and they should have the best marriages because we have the best Bible. Uh, so, Lord, um, we just pray your blessings over this, uh, over our church, and over everyone that uh, on the internet who's listening. And we pray you uh, continually guide us in every area of our life. In the name of Jesus, Amen. listening to this sermon. If you search Rob Cartledge in the iTunes store or go to www.robcartledge.com, you'll see a number of different sermon series uncovering religion, truth, judgment and eternity, apologetics 101, critical doctrine and end times. Feel free to check them out.